get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, episode 108. Yeah, we're getting we're getting deep. We're getting a lot of episodes out here. Uh, this is not one of our happier episodes, I will say that. A little bit of a tough series with the Miami Marlins, and of course, it's we're, we're looking ahead. We're looking ahead. I feel like that's kind of what happened going into this series as well. Everyone is looking ahead to this big three-game series going up against the Atlanta Braves, and we are going to talk about that series, honestly, for a good chunk of this episode, because it is, it is without a doubt the most important series that the Mets have played of the 2022 season thus far. But we will still talk about what happened this weekend going up against the Miami Marlins, a big four-game series. We had Keith Hernandez Day. We got all-star game announcements. Four Mets have made the all-star team. Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso, Starling Marte, and Edwin Diaz. So we'll talk about those guys a little bit too and how great their seasons have been, as well as just kind of wrap up this entire weird series against those pesky Miami Marlins, as we always do. If you guys are not yet following us on all our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you're watching us for YouTube videos, you want a video version of this, Mets YouTube channel, the official New York Mets YouTube channel. That's where you can find us. If you're listening, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcasts, you'll be able to get us. Drop us a follow, drop us a subscription, rating, review, whatever you have to do. It really does help us out. Let's go ahead and send it over to James. James, how are we feeling after this this Marlins series? Bittersweet. It is a bittersweet one. It's bittersweet. weird. Bittersweet. And it's just, I don't know. It's a weird series. Like, I kind of... Especially coming right off this Sunday game, the extra innings being shut out against Sandy Alcantara. Kind of felt that this was going to happen at least on Sunday, and it's kind of hard to beat a team three times in a row before that. It's just still a weird it's a weird feeling coming off this series, especially with this Brave series looming that we've had circled for a few weeks now. I think it's a really interesting time to be a Met fan with everything that's been going on because you can see the Mets split against the Marlins. You can see the Braves have closed the gap in the National League East to now one and a half games after walking off the Nationals. And it's easy... I feel like to fall into the trap of panic, right? Like it's so easy to start being like the sky's falling right now. It's also easy to kind of be super, super concerned with the way you fall between division winner and a potential wild card team on this ripe day of July 10th. Yeah. Like it's still a lot of games left in the season. And as crazy as it is to say, it's not like many of the games the Mets are going to play the rest of the season against teams not named the Atlanta Braves are especially significant just because. There's we have 15 games left against Atlanta, and we've played 86 games, so quick math. That means we have 70, 76 remaining. I don't know. You're the Ohio State guy. That's clo- I'm going to say that's close enough. That could be wrong. So, But that's a, it's roughly like almost 20% of the games left are against yeah. Atlanta, and we're only up on them a game and a half in division. So whatever you do against them is going to determine what the, what the end of the season standings actually look like. So it's hard to really be living and dying on these other ones. Yeah. As crazy as it's to sound, though, but it's just because the way the schedule worked out, there's so many games left against them. We only played four. There's 15 left, and you're basically tied. Yeah, I mean, again, like we said at the beginning of the episode, it was really, really hard to not look past the Marlins. And may- maybe that's a little bit what happened, too, with this Mets team, maybe. Maybe that's why the bats were a little bit slow, too. Possible. Just, it's, it's hard not to be focused on the team that you're competing for with the National League East division on the line when they're you know just a few days ahead. Yeah, and also just looking back at this Marlins series, like taking the full scope of it, if you look at the four starting pitchers the Marlins had, you were able to crush Daniel Castaño. You were not able to hit Pablo Lopez. You very frustratingly could not hit Braxton Garrett, but yeah. pulled the game out. And then you were not able to hit 
Sandy Alcantara. So you're kind of also seeing a little bit of a trend there that the Mets have been going about for these last few weeks where it's a little bit harder to hit against the better pitchers. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen too. No, like, yeah, a guy, no. like a guy like Sandy, of course, makes also, sense. Pablo and Sandy, both of them have ERAs under three this year. I think they're one of only six or seven teammates in all of baseball. That ERA is under three. And I don't know about you, but it also feels like because of how much we have played the Marlins recently, this is just kind of something that... Oh, it's Marlin fatigue. Yeah, it's Marlin fatigue, without a doubt. Like, this is something that I feel like you would just see happen with any teams. I mean, you've seen some... the, The Dodgers lost to the Pirates. The Yankees lost to the Pirates. Like, they're just teams that will lose to lesser teams at points, and it doesn't mean that the sky is falling. But is it cause for concern? Maybe since June 1st, the Mets offensively have been struggling a little bit. They haven't been as hot. But as we have said on this podcast, that's just kind of going to be this team. They are going to be streaky, especially when you do rely on contact. Yeah, and you're not really a team that has particular high barrel rate, runs driven in by the home run. You're just less, it's less of a, not trustworthy is not the word. It's a much less, much less stable offense. It's yeah. harder to find consistency when you're just a team that kind of relies on contact, singles, and driving in runs with runners in scoring positions. You have to string a lot of hits together. And that being said, it doesn't mean that the Mets don't have a good offense. I still think the Mets do have a good offense. It's just you're going to hit these stretches like we did. I think Where it's more. Cold. I think it's more like the Mets have like a 55th, 60th percentile offense rather than like the 80th, 85th percentile offense they seem to be early in the year. I think the Mets right now have a team-wide barrel rate, either 19th or 20th in the league, okay. which is, if you look at all teams currently in the postseason field, is definitely towards the back of them. It's not the worst. The Padres are like 26th. Yeah, well, the Padres how, yeah, still use pen and paper. Yeah, <laughs> they do. But it's just you're, we're going through these stretches, and when everything was going really well in April and May, we cautioned Mets fans that this offense, while it was good and while we still trusted it, did have the potential to run dry. And right now we're in one of those dry spells. And it's a little bit frustrating to watch especially, but – it's going to ebb and flow back the way baseball season does. It's not. This isn't out-of-the-park baseball. It's not MLB the show. No. Things just do not go straight up or straight down. You just It ebbs and it flows. It's 162 games. Like How many seasons have all you guys seen this together? I know. Like It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just go. It's like it's good and it's bad. It's good and it's bad. It's never just regular. As we should know, the season is never won in May. It's never won in June. It's never won in July. It is always the full 162, even back to last year, to talk about the Braves. They were, what, like one of the worst teams in Under baseball? 500. Yeah, they this were not particularly year. great, and obviously they won the World Series. So the way you play in July, the way you play in June is by no means indicative of the kind of team that you're going to finish with at the end of the year. I think what is positive, though, is that the Mets are still 20 games above 500 to be that guy. I will I will be that guy because, like, the, the choke Mets narrative that is starting to come back is a little bit frustrating because you— you're still 20 games above 500. There's simply no choke. The Braves are just playing really, really good baseball. Mets are on pace to win 100 games right now. Like, if the Mets win 97 games and the Braves win 101, is that a failure? No, by no means. That's a great season. Like, oh, you you couldn't win four more. That's really, really hard to win 100 games. kind of like last year with, like, the Rays, the Red Sox, and the Yankees. Or, or like, the, last year the Dodgers yep. and the Giants. Like, these are hot division races. The Mets and the Braves right now have proven to be two of the better teams in the National League. This is not the National League Central. No. You have to actually win baseball games and like try to win this division there's a lot of talent here well even to tie it back now to these Miami Marlins this Miami Marlins team even from that we saw you know a few weeks ago is a better team than we've seen in the past like they actually have competent ball players at almost every single position and the pitching is better competent ball players at almost every single position that's high praise I mean like outside of playing the Mets Brian De La Cruz 
does nothing. But against the Mets, that guy becomes Honus Wagner. It's unbelievable. Why, why'd you pick Honus Wagner? Because a lot of doubles, a lot of extra base hits. Honus Wagner feels Probably like he's... pick someone better. I guess I gotta pick someone better than Larry Honus Doby. Wagner. Doby. Larry, Do- Larry Doby was a left-handed hitter. I won't pick Larry Doby. Oh, you're Doby. right. He was left-handed. Well, I guess Honus Wagner was a switch hitter, I think, maybe. Uh, it's, uh, the 1900s, know. they might not have been doing switch hitting at that time. A better, How about a better hitter even for the Marlins? He'd be a heretic if you were a switch hitter in 1903. <laughs> Turns into Giancarlo Stanton when he plays the Yes. Or just, he, t- he turns into kind of like Marlon's Christian Yelich. Yeah, Marlon's Christian Yelich. He just like is Who's also a lefty, so maybe strike that one too. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're loving the lefties today. Throw them out there. Yeah. It was just this series, first off, four games is always long. A slog. It's always a slog. And against the Marlins team, who outside of game one fought every single game, kept every single game close, they're just annoying. They're so annoying, whether it's Sean Birdie or. Brian De La Cruz or even Jesus Aguilar. Guys have good at bats. Or Anthony Bass. Joey Wendell. Cole, I mean, actually, I don't even think we saw Cole Sosa. But Tanner Scott. Like, I mean, Tanner Scott made the awful play game three, of course. But Anthony Bass had the Mets uh, to bad, bad pun fishing all series. Oh, God. That's <laughs> that, was awful. that was easy. That was easy. That was easy. That was on the tee for you there. Yeah. But, I mean, I, let's let's start off with game one here. Because, run through it quick. Yeah, run through it quick. Mets win this game very easily. It was probably the most stress-free Mets game that I can remember in recent history. Just from start to finish, it felt like the Mets were completely in control. And there was, I recorded a YouTube video during this game because I was like, wow, the Mets won. It's over. We don't got to worry about anything. I turned it off and watched the Stranger Things finale. I, which I, I heard Stranger Things. I'm not, I'm not a Stranger Things guy. It's, it's quality television. I think yeah, it's good. I, I watched it in college. I remember because like, the first time it came out, like didn't really have the much pub. Yeah. And it wasn't really, it, it just like happened. And they like did a really good job of like, it was kind of like TikTok before TikTok where they <laughs> revealed a little bit of something at the beginning and kept you locked in all the way until the end. So it was just like this like crazy occurrence. I remember being in like my hot college apartment with like three of my friends. We sat down like it was like August. We sat down like one o'clock and we didn't move. We watched the entire thing like in one day. That's well, that's the sign of a good show. Exactly. But like since then it's kind of become like it's it's a good quality television show. It's like it has a nostalgia factor. It I was also about to has say that it's a big nostalgia show. hundred percent. And it just has that element of it that always holds you until the end, which is Good, good TV, but also, yeah, but it was a good relaxing win. Match running 10 nothing in the fifth. You can yeah. do something else with your night. I do think that the kid in Stranger Things, again, because I've never watched an episode, the kid who's got the curly hair. Do you know what his name is? Uh, Gatton Matanzaro, I think. Yeah, he does have something a crazy like, name that. like that. Yeah. I believe he's a Mets fan. Okay. I'm like 85% sure he's, he's welcome to come on the show. Yeah, anytime he wants, he can appear on the Mets Up podcast. Also, my wife Doja Cat has, has tried to slide into the new breakout star Eddie Munson's DMs, which Uh-oh. I thought was pretty cool. Nice. Okay. Yeah. Shout, shout out to Stranger Things cast. Doing yeah, big right? things. But. Where I was going with this, I saw a TikTok that was funny. I because again never saw the show, didn't realize that he was like a funny character on the oh, show. He's funny. All. He's he's hilarious. He looks funny. He does a lot of like it seems like off the cuff, like he's a, just a little imp- improv. That's the acting word. Yeah, improv. a lot of improv on the show. He's a character, but again, Mets are winning ten nothing. You can do something else with your evening, yeah. whether it be watch a show or make a show. Yeah, we record a YouTube video <laughs> to actually do my job for once. There you go. <laughs> Must be nice, but. The Mets need a game like this because, and now people are on edge again, but coming into the series, people <laughs> yeah. were on edge. So it's like, you can win 10 nothing, you can deal with it. And with the Mets bullpen was also a little bit taxed with no off day. So just having Trevor Williams and the now recently DFA Jake Reed, yeah. which is upsetting, but control all night. And this game was nice. And also cool, the bottom of the order woke up. Six through nine hitters, Canna, McNeil, JD, and Big Hit Jim, who's now also on the head into the IL, probably extend the period of time with an oblique issue. They combined for seven hits. Eight runs scored, eight RBIs, and six hard hit balls in this game. And this game kind of shows you 
I think a little bit of an outlook of what the Mets team could look like if we do get production out of that seven, eight, nine. Because I do think like game and two, and we were a lot at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and we were a lot at the beginning of the year. But like these last three games of the series, you especially especially felt like guys like Escobar, Nito, Guillaume, whoever's catching, whoever's hitting in those spots, came up with runners in the scoring position in big spots and couldn't drive it in. And in this game, they did. And you see the offense is fine then, but that's why it is like so important. One through nine, everybody does have to make an impact regardless of what you do, you know, defensively on the field even. Absolutely. J.D. Davis, his first career grand slam. James McCann hit the run home run. And um, J.D. was the 12th player in Mets history that hit a grand slam from the eighth spot in the lineup, which is a little bit weird because that used to be a spot where you could just avoid the eight hitter. Yeah. So that's why I guess there's so few relatively. I feel like there was also just a major... Grand Slam dry spell for the Mets in our childhood. Yeah, oh, for sure. Like one every five years. I like feel like I remember Robin Ventura hitting Grand Slams. Like I remember, very, very I remember Cliff Floyd hitting a Grand Slam. I remember David Wright, David Wright yep. hitting one or two. I remember Fernando Tatis actually had one, yeah. senior. Yeah, I, and then otherwise, I, I don't think I could name Maybe one. Scott Harrison had one. Yeah, Scott, Scott <laughs> Harrison. Harrison. Harrison feels Harrison. like a guy who would be, just have a sneaky Grand Slam. Do them, sure. And like Davis each had one or two, yeah. get, based on the law of averages. Mike Jacobs, maybe. Maybe. Well, now we're just naming random Mets players. All right, two more random Nets, Mets players that we can name. Omar Quintanilla. Eric Valent. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> Man, Eric Valent. Josh Smoker. We saw Josh Smoker jersey <laughs> at the stadium Friday this week night. on Friday, which is one of my two craziest ones I saw. I saw Josh Smoker. Well, we saw Josh Smoker. And then I saw a Chris Flexen jersey. That's which crazy. It wasn't like a, oh, this is a game worn. Both of these were designed, chosen, picked out, handpicked. Josh Smoker and Chris Flexen jerseys, guys who might have made a combined total of under 100 appearances for the Mets. Josh Edgen. Josh Edgen's another good one. There's a lot of random Joshes on this team. Josh Satin. All right. Josh now, Satin. Now, all right, now we're getting carried away. Two minutes on Trevor Williams, and we'll move on here. But very good start from Trevor, which might be his last turn through the rotation. Seven innings, seven strikeouts, no earned runs. Only the third time in his entire career he's completed seven innings without allowing an earned run. And he hadn't done it since August 11th, 2018. And the first time he's ever done it with no walks. Okay, Trevor Williams. I mean, yeah. he, he was in control. We Absolutely. needed that bad Absolutely. Play. And something to keep in track of, because Trevor Williams might move to the bullpen. He was throwing more sliders in this game. Got seven whiffs on 11 swings with it. Threw the season high 23% of the time. Fourth straight appearance where he's increased his slider usage after not throwing it for three consecutive starts. Yep. That no, was a good win. Bats were swinging. And that's pretty much it for the bats the rest of this series. Game good two. Night. Can't hit again. Nope. It was absolute hell watching this game. This was a bad, bad watch. Well, first off, our friend Ernie, we went to the game with. He's a Marlins fan. Loves Jonathan VR. Loves Jonathan VR. What a jinx that guy is. We've now been to like three games with him this year. And lost them all. Lost them all. So for you guys at home who are listening, and for the sake of the New York Mets, we will not be attending games with Ernie the rest of the year. I don't want to. Can't do it. Can't no. do it for the good of the team. Unless he like has to do something else. Maybe we can get a stat like when he wears his Mets stuff versus when he wears his Marlins stuff. Yeah, maybe yeah, cuz he does have a black Luis Guillorme jersey. He's like Which is a piece. He's a sneak And a blue Jonathan VR. Yes, he's a sneaky Mets fan. Like we're kind of trying to get him, but Converting it's just, him. against the Marlins it's tough and Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It was tough. Pablo Lopez was good. The change of command was unbelievable. Yeah, and Lopez, just like his hittable pitches, his fastball, and the Mets weren't really hitting it, and he also wasn't really throwing it that much. And this game just was stuck at 2-1, like, forever. Because Mets killer Brian De La Cruz got the first 
Marlins RBI with his first of three doubles in the game. Made it one nothing. Nimmo hit a loud home run to the Coca-Cola yep. corner, make it 1-1. And then Wendell, his sacrifice fly after Brian De La Cruz, hit his second double of the game and scored on that. But, like, Chris Bassett was very good in this one. He went toe-to-toe with Pablo Lopez. And I think those guys are kind of contemporaries in the National League in terms of, like, how they'd rate. I'd probably say Lopez is a bit better, but Bassett maybe, like, avoids the blow-up more effectively than Lopez does. Yeah, they're both, I would say, like... Pesky? A l- little, little grittier pitchers than yeah. most. They don't, the stuff doesn't really pop out at you, but... Not they, throw 99. No, not even throwing 96. But Bassett went six in the third innings, tried to nurse him through the seventh, talk about that in a second, gave up six hits, kind of scattered them around. He seemed, like, in control, even though there were always men on base. It was just good Chris Bassett start, two earned, no walks, three strikeouts. Only second time in Bass's entire career. He didn't walk a batter in consecutive starts. Shout out John for that one. And something I wanted to shout out about Bassett that I saw especially in this game was his slider, which has been a very new development for him this yeah. year. It's always been one of his better pitches in terms of movements, better than league average horizontal movement and vertical break. So that's like movement to the side and movement down. Kind of called slide and drop. I like call it like that sometimes. And he's throwing it significantly more than he's ever had. Nearly 20% usage rate so far this year. That was only 10% last year and just 3% two years ago. So this is basically a pitch that he's developed since he reinvented himself after his litany of arm injuries about five or six years ago. And it's been his best swing and miss pitch this year with a 32% whiff rate. And it was his most thrown pitch on Friday. First time as a Met he's ever done that. So this is a cool new development for Bassett, who's a guy who I've heard interviews between him and pitching guru from the athletic Eno Saris. He likes his off-speed pitches and recognizes it that they are probably his most effective, but says that he fears that they will become less effective the more he throws them. He likes to work off the fastball and sinker and mix in his slider and also his curveball, yeah. which I think is probably, based on movement statistically, maybe his best pitch slider might be better now. But I think it was cool to hear him say that. But now, this year, seeing Bassett throwing that slider 20% of the time and seeing him throw that curveball also more than he ever has career, up also getting near 20%. So maybe there's an adjustment by Bassett, Maybe there's a little bit Jeremy Hefner, but seeing him throw those two pitches more is cool. Yeah, no, I mean, he pitched a great game again coming off the COVID IL. It's unfortunate that in the seventh, that's kind of when they got to him. The third double from Brian De La Cruz, because that guy, he's, he's new rat number one. Oh I my think. God. He's the most, he's the most recent rat. Yeah. He's at, yeah, he's the most recent rat. And he just, he showed up again this series. He has like a negative war on the year. And I can only imagine what it would be if he didn't play the Mets. It would probably be like negative four. You might not still be around if you wasn't playing the Mets. might not be at the major league level. Oh, God. Drew Smith, though, got us out of that jam, but then in the eighth, came in for a second inning and up, down, and he just he gave up a home run on a hanging slider to Garrett Cooper. Garrett Cooper's a really underrated hitter in major league baseball. Doesn't have crazy power numbers despite his size, but you but watch this be- guy hit, and he's a good hitter. It's because of where he plays. That's true, yeah, playing if, in Miami If Garrett Cooper help. played in Cincinnati, he'd be a 40 home run guy. Well, yeah, I mean, Amir, you hit played in Cincinnati. We'd hit 25 home a runs a year. I think, I think Albert Almora has a home run in Cincinnati. <laughs> we were also sitting pretty close to Garrett Cooper's wife, oh, and my God. she was so excited for this home run. Oh, my God. We were like... Who's screaming? We're like, where is this coming from? Like, the only Marlins fan in the stadium should be the guy that we're sitting next to in Ernie. It got a turn from every single person in our section. We're like, who is that? And then, like, we saw her cross-examined on Instagram. Like, all right, that's Garrett Cooper's wife. She has she has good reason to <laughs> yeah. be a little excited. It stunk to hear it, though. I, yeah. I, just because she was uh, had a good reason didn't mean I like it. I would have no. loved for a little silence. Also, a wonky home run. He just kind of got the ball and sent it out the other way. Strong dude. Like, Strong dude. Inside out of the hanging slider, was right-handed hitter out of city field to right field. I think but... I saw something where Drew Smith, at, after that game, like 11 of his 12 runs he'd given up the, this year have been to, due to the long ball. Uh, he's still got great stuff. It looked like, I mean, that pitch hung. 
So it's yeah. just like maybe a command thing. And Drew Smith is still, I think, figuring out exactly how he wants to pitch a little bit because we know all his stuff is really good. So this isn't a question of whether or not Drew Smith is good or not. I think it might just be like a, a slight adjustment needs to be made. Also, adjustment probably also needs to be made for us because we anointed Drew Smith as like one of the best relievers in baseball. Yeah. He's probably more like this like 2-8, between like 2-8 and 3-5 ERA reliever. Listen, we got That's ex- okay. It we happens. got excited. Drew Chains. The, the Mets are 20 games above 500. We it can happens. be excited and every he's once cool. He's fun. But just to wrap this game up because it was kind of cash after this, Lindor, the home run, the eighth. We got some life. We had a hitless rally with McNeil getting hit by a pitch, Cano walking and J.D. walking. Eduardo Escobar came oh, up God. with Stephen O'Kerr, who has really good stuff. Very good slider and fastball. A lot of life from the left side. Had him on the ropes. Two of Escobar. Phil Cuzzy gave him a gift with a pitch that was an inch and a half off the plate. Phil Cuzzy was horrible. You know, like the umpire scorecard that comes up after the game yeah. on Twitter? That call and the one to, was it Nimmo in the ninth? Remember, we're like, where was that? Yeah. Two horrendously bad misses where they were a good inch, inch and a half off the plate. And I think if you're at Eduardo Escobar, you still need to, you still relatively need to come through there. I don't think that's like yeah, an excuse, just, but yeah. it did completely change the at bat. And just for like a former player's perspective, Todd Zeal on SNY was going off about it. He was yeah. not happy. He said that call screwed him. You know, you go three well, zero to two one, it changes everything. Everything. Every everything. You're thing. in the drive. You're still in the driver's seat. But now that you saw that pitch was called a strike, it forced Eduardo Escobar to swing at the two one pitch that was on the corner. Popped it up a little bit. A little baseball debate here. I don't think two ones a driver's seat. Two ones a neutral setting. I don't know. I it, as a hitter, I think two one you still relatively are ahead. I think it's like more of a. I mental think you're a little thing. ahead. I wouldn't call it the driver's seat. Fine. Yeah, I wouldn't call yeah. it the driver's seat. That's your your you're two balls to a walk. Well, no, two I said three zero is the driver's seat. Okay, yeah, not two, two one. one. Yeah, two one is a little like, less. Yeah, you're in, you're in the range of being ahead or just like being right there with two strikes, but. Also, from the right side, it was kind of disappointing not to see Escobar come through there. Just he, He's coming up so often with men on base, and it's really stacking up against him. Things are starting to snowball, and I hope he, he gets hot soon. He's a veteran, consummate pro still. But I, I talked about this with you at the game, and I'll share it with the viewers now too and the listeners, that having a guy like Canna and McNeil, and those guys get on base a among some of the best in all of baseball like right now. over 350, 360. They're like both, I think, th- sitting in the 370, 380 spot yeah. right now. So for a guy like Escobar who's hitting 7th or 8th, those guys get on base of the time that they get to the plate. He's just simply going to be in more scenarios where he's going to have guys on base in front of him just because they are really good at it. And I don't really know what the fix is. It's, this is like a weird, awkward problem that you kind of sometimes run into with like modern baseball in the way that you build lineups and that you, you really do try to get guys to get on base a ton so that these guys then get on base. And if you have a guy hitting like 220, like Escobar unfortunately is right now, it's really hard to figure out how to get those runs in. Maybe Peach at seventh. No, of course. But the, <laughs> I'm see, like that's like the. No, I'm joking. I, no, I know you're joking, but that's like also like it's just it's so complicated baseball figuring out how to actually make a lineup work. And there were also two weird caveat stats about this game that kind of echo your point. First off, the Mets didn't hit a single in this game. They had, I think, seven hits, and they were all for extra bases. Which, it, that's big big for the old guys there. They didn't yeah, win. Yeah, a single. They finished the rally. But it was weird because this whole year, the Mets have just hit singles incessantly. One of the lowest extra base hit rates in all of baseball. Lowest, one of the, again, bottom 12 battle rates in the whole league right now. So weird they couldn't hit one single. And also, in this game, all the hitters in the Mets lineup, one through four, had two hard hit balls. Yeah, so I mean, just like All overall, the hitters, five through nine, one total. Yeah, and it actually was by Escobar. Not a lot of hard game. hit balls. There weren't. There weren't. It happens sometimes. Yeah. We've spent a lot now in game two. They lost. It's stunk. Yeah, two Whatever. It was awful. Game three, though. This is a cool one. because Keith, Keith Day. Keith Day. Keith Hernandez got his jersey number retired out in the blazing sun. It oh, was my God. It was hot. A scorcher. Now, I don't mean to get a little too intimate here with you guys, but <laughs> we sat down in our seats and immediately got... I was moist. Yeah. I was wet. 
shout out to everyone working at City Field because there were it seemed like a lot of people because there were this was a big day, especially for the older generation. Definitely. It was very hot. People were in their seats early in the sun for a good amount of time before this game began. So shout out all of the city field, you know, workers and stuff there for getting waters ready, serving everybody that day. We saw a couple people down with in the infirmary. Very, very good to see everyone, you know, working hard, keeping everyone healthy. Yeah, definitely had to get some cool air. Even us, we like we left the seats every once in a while because we're like, I need, hot, I need shade, shade need yeah. AC. It was a hot one. It was really cool to see Keith guy's number retired. It seemed like he was really happy really proud cool to see his whole family yeah melt meant a lot to him it yeah. seemed like which is nice i mean you, you kind of knew that was going to be the way it was absolutely keith hernandez deserved this keith hernandez while he didn't spend very much time with the mets was monumentally important for bringing them from a team that was a perpetual loser to a team that was got to the doorstep winning a world series won a world series and had a little bit of a nice little run in the 80s. Yeah, no, Keith obviously won as the a leader race. for a team, as he said, was very green. Yeah, which is such an old guy statement. Keith was dropping a lot of a lot yeah. of sayings where he was just. I was like, man, I if if I wasn't well versed in the old baseballisms, I'd have no clue what you're talking about right you're like now. Like a translator talking to Keith sometimes. But who else was there? Piazza was there. Mookie was there. Got Tim a big Tuffle, ovation. Tim Tuffle. Ed Lynch. Ed Lynch. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the uh, older generation of players. Also Gary was there. and Ron, of course, sitting with their buddy Howie. Did a great job. Howie I also, did. I love that Howie is called the master of ceremonies deserves it that i don't know if that's a real title or not or if that's just something that they like joke about but i think it's awesome master of ceremonies and he's such a good mc at these events i remember him from seaver the event on opening day he's just so smooth on the mic and we know that from listening to howie on the radio all these years the best he's able to like run through a script and still add like his own like howie panache to all these lines it's fantastic it is hard to read as we know read read lines and kind of get a little personality behind it he's obviously one of the best in the business to do it so that's that's no surprise. Also loved that he threw in a little bit that if if there's if everything's right in the world, Keith Hernandez will be in Cooperstown, which I'm all for. Keith has a legitimate argument. If you look at his black ink on baseball reference or his Jaws rating, he's right in there with a lot of the guys who are in the Hall of Fame. And the only player ever who I believe has 11 straight gold gloves not to be in the Hall of Fame. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's just at that weird position of first I base. Know. But he still was the best. What was it? Mike Piazza's story. He said they were working on bunting Bunt. practice. With the Dodgers, right? Yeah, but that's funny too. Yeah, that's awesome. Mike Piazza's in bunting practice. Imagine how backwards baseball was having Mike Piazza practice bunting. It was Tommy Lasorda that probably would run the drill. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, you see that too with some prospects now. Like uh, I'm looking at some MLB draft guys as we have the MLB draft coming up, which would be fun to talk about. Let me know if you guys want to hear about that uh, on the maybe next episode or so. But to see a guy like Drew Jones, who is the consensus number one pick or top player in the draft, on all the videos of him hitting... He starts off by laying down two bunts. I'm like, whoever the the coaches that makes him bunt should be fired. He shouldn't (laughs) be allowed to be around children that are playing youth baseball. Why are we teaching him how to bunt? Swing it. Swing the bat. But yeah, to finish the story, Mike Piazza was talking about doing bunting practice. Someone laid down a bad bunt. And I guess the coach or whoever was doing it was saying that Hernandez would have turned two on that bunt. Yeah. Which is cool. Keith Hernandez is the greatest defensive first baseman of all time. However important you think that is, watching the old videos of Keith Hernandez play first, you realize it was a different animal, like him playing first base. I always think of that play where he charges, throws it to third. Gary Carter's at third, throws it to first. Like That's one of the sickest plays a first baseman's ever made. It is. That's cool in the the 86 documentary at 30 for 30. And the Mets paid a little homage on the field as well because Pete Alonso, first baseman of the New York Mets, you guys might be familiar with the polar bear. I'm not sure if you are or not, but he wore, he had, a, or I shouldn't say he wore because he grew one. He's a man. He's an adult. He grew a it was, mustache. It was faint. It was, it was a little faint, but it was, it was a mustache. It, it was, was noticeable. Had a mustache. I don't know how he got the sideburns. That's I the one either. I don't understand is did he grow sideburns overnight because he had some chops? 
And he also wore stirrups. Yep. As an homage to Keith. So I like that. That was cool. And he got off his own schneid with a home run. First home run, I believe, was 12 games. Yeah, and I don't think he had an RBI in 10 games prior to that. So 11 was, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. something like Since that. Since that, that last series against the Marlins two weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, this this game was hectic, too. It was tight. John Birdie, leadoff double. It, it started off crazy. Weird first inning play, though, where Birdie was on third, Garrett Cooper was on first after walk, wild pitch, and Jesus Aguilar was up. Ground into it would have been a double play. But Jesus Aguilar, he walks around. He's Greg- gregarious, as how we called him this morning on the broadcast Sunday during Sunday morning during Sunday afternoon's game. He just starts talking up the first base line. All of a sudden, the umpire ran out, called him to first base, and put Birdie back on third because it was catcher's interference. So rather than two outs and a run scoring, two outs, nobody on, we had bases loaded for Carrasco with nobody out. Yeah, and. Boy got through it. Struck out Jesus Sanchez. Got Avi Garcia to ground into a very pretty double play by our wonderful double play contingency up the middle. I believe, as the kids say, uh, ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. Ball don't lie. Although the ball actually was kind of interesting because they would have gotten a run if that double play got yes. turned. So yeah, it would have been fine yeah. if we took that double play too. And everyone mattered in this game. But after that first inning, little action there, half top of the first. This was a complete snooze fest. The Mets did not have a hit until the fourth when that Pete home run we just mentioned. First home run since June 25th. 12 games, first RBI since June 26th, 11 games. Both of those also against the Marlins, like we just mentioned. <laughs> During this time, too, Starling Marte also left the game with a tight groin. Not and great. it was people around the same, like, what happened to Starling Marte? What happened to Starling Marte? Did you see Ender Enciarte out there? Which uh, we now have new information, of course. Newly all star, Starling Marte. Shout out to Starling, having a great year. He got his OPS to about 800. I don't remember what it's at now, but it was over 800 now this weekend. But uh, we got an update. It's a groin injury. And he is not going to hit the IL, but he might take a couple days to rest. So okay. I'm not sure if he's going to play f- oh. the full series in Atlanta or That'll maybe even at all. That'll be tough. That'll, That'll be, be tough, tough with the we short bench. But after that Pete home run, we still didn't get another hit until the sixth inning. And that was a Tomas Nito dribbler that was misplayed by Miguel Rojas up the middle. Our first single since Friday evening. Just crazy. Because it's not like we didn't get hits. No. Just no singles. Yeah. And... Before that, and came in the game, he actually wasn't starting. There was an absolutely crazy sequence of events that yeah. happened here in the uh, sixth inning. Tried to get Carrasco three times around the order. He was pitching well. A lot of sliders from Carrasco in this game, and it was very whiffable. It was also interesting because we saw Trevor Williams throw a lot of sliders the day before. So maybe there's a slider thing with the Marlins. And Chris Bassett. And Chris Bassett threw a lot of sliders, too. Most Could be pitch. a book thing for the yeah. Marlins here. That was probably a little Hefner, a little Hefner game planning here. Shout out to the Mets' pro scouting department. But tried to get Carrasco three times through the order. Aguilar came up with one out, hit a soft single to center field, and then he walked Jesus Sanchez on four straight balls after a first pitch strike, and a couple of them were not particularly close. And Jesus Sanchez, not really known for his plate discipline either. No, a little bit of a free swinger. Yeah, so this would be the moment where I think it probably would have made sense to Yank Carrasco, but no off days, big series against the Braves coming up, no off days coming from the last series. You got to try and get a little, little extra out of all of these guys. Then the first pitch to Avi Garcia is another single. So another base are loaded for Brian Anderson. And this inning is looking like it could get out of hand. And it looked like it would get out of hand because Brian Anderson laced a double in the gap. That, I will say, Brandon Nimmo did a very good job of great getting job. to. Great job. Long strides from Brandon Nimmo. Got a great read on the ball. It's like a gazelle. It is. May look like he was almost going to catch it for a second, then got to it quickly. Throws Jesus Sanchez to second base. Perfect relay from Nimmo into Guillaume. Sanchez rounding third. Guillaume puts literally his Sick. entire body into this throw. Guns it home, 87 miles an hour in one hop. Sends himself rolling into the grass. James McCann picks it on his glove side. Comes all the way back across his body to get Sanchez, who's hook sliding into home. Got him. Bang, bang, bay at the plate. 
Amazing, amazing, amazing play by Nimmo, Guillaume especially, and James McCann, that incredible tag. Yeah, it was all around incredible defense, which is always important. That throw Guillaume made was phenomenal. It phenomenal. was so sick. Also, I think that pick that McCann made to oh, come sure. glove side all the way back across his body and hook slide, it was it was literally so good he pulled his oblique. It was, oh, yeah, <laughs> he ended up getting hurt from it, which is unfortunate. Nito then came into the game. Yes. Lugo then came into mm-hmm. the game. And then there was a wild pitch that wasn't a wild pitch. It was more of a pass ball. I just but... learned today it was ruled a wild pitch, oh, but it looked pass ball-ish. It was kind of high and outside when it looked like Nito was set up a little bit inside, so we couldn't really get to it, went over. We were so close to getting out of this inning still tied. And now we leave it down 2-1. And the stadium kind of uh, deflated after that. A little bit, yeah. And it was also a hot day. And everyone yeah, had very been there hot day. for a very long time. Everyone got there like two. Parking lot was active before this game, too. Everyone was tailgating, having a great time with the family. Very. I like that we've had these two consecutive July Saturday afternoons where we've retired the number. Yeah, no, it's been nice. No, it's been, it'd be cool to have another one soon. Yeah, definitely. Who, who do you think that next player could be? Number five. David Wright. David Wright has to be the guy, right? Like, I'm trying to think of other players it could possibly be. I know there's some... Older players that I, I'm sure you could throw some names out there, but David Wright is—he's the Met. Is and don't, only because anyone as close to deserving as Wright. And also, they might—they might take some more time before doing David Wright because he's—you know—he's pretty young guy still. Yeah, he's a young guy, and, and honestly, he, maybe he doesn't want it yet. I can see—I can also see David Wright being like, not ready. I'm not ready to come back. Like I—I I should relatively still be playing. Like yeah, I don't sh- want to come back to the yeah. stadium and have my jersey retired at an age where I. Could have still been the third baseman for the New York Mets. Yeah, it's, I really didn't like that you wore it like that. But let's go back to the game because <laughs> oh, let's God. forget about the bad memories. Uh, uh, Luis Guillorme had a oh no, we're, I, I, I jumped way too far ahead. But inning after this Lugo thing, um, oh God, yeah, that David Wright sentence really it me up. shook you up. Yeah, really I mean did. that's your guy. I love David Wright. Piazza so much. was my guy. Yeah, I mean because you because you because you claimed you were consciously watching baseball. You're four I years was. old. I was. You know my. <laughs> you have seen my baseball quizzes on YouTube. Crazy. I have a shocking knowledge of two thousands <laughs> baseball. It's unbelievable. Uh, David Wright was my guy. But let's get back to the game. Mets were down two one. This point is kind of deflating. You really don't want to lose Keith Day. But Francisco Lindor came up in the next inning. Had a nice home run off of. I don't even remember. It was, it was lefty. It was still Braxton Garrett. No, it was. It was lefty? Yeah, it was still Braxton. Oh, so that was an opposite field home run. No, he pulled it down the left field line. So righty. Oh, you said I, lefty. Oh, yeah, I said lefty. Yeah, you said lefty. Okay, yeah okay. it was. Yeah, okay. Well, yeah. I meant to say righty. Yeah, 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 I meant to say righty, and he Tripping faced up. the lefty. His right-hand swing is definitely a whole lot better right now than his left-hand swing. Just something uh, as a non-professional hitting coach that I've noticed. Just back shoulder dipping a little bit on the left-handed swing. The right-handed swing, though, is level to the ball, quick hands, everything you want. And you could see it. His home runs this series were right-handed. Absolutely, and this was a big moment. Got the Mets back up on top, packed house for almost forty-four thousand city field, highest this year besides opening day. It was, it was a good environment after this home run. People were kind of feeling good, but then Adam Alvino came in for the top of the eighth inning after he pitched the second half of the top of the seventh and up down because he came in to relieve Lugo after a man got on. And I think I he threw three pitches, something like that. Yeah, so I'm not I'm not going to fault anybody for you know coming in the game after a three pitch outing, but. We've seen time after time this year with these Mets relievers that it's kind of hard to get back up after you've sat down. He gives up a home run to Jesus Aguilar. Which was deflating. Very deflating. Second, second deflation. Sucked the air out again. Frustrating. And especially because the following, when we got to the plate, we had a shot in the bottom of the eighth. Luis Guillorme, leadoff double. Hustle double. Which was great. Tomas Nito, sacrifice bunt, got him over to third. Nimmo walked. And then McNeil and Lindor both got out. Yeah, we had a shot there. He felt like he could have... 
got, you know, you see Edwin Diaz warming up in the bullpen now. You get pretty confident. You can get a run the bottom of the eighth inning. You can do it well. Also, just Luis Guillermo is hitting the ball well again. Yeah. Love that. But which is great. He got he, he was struggling a little bit. It seems like you know, he had a couple days off, which I think revitalized him a it little happens, bit. It happens, but just that up-down stuff, man. It's killer. The Mets bullpen ERA this year is about four after an up-down, when that's almost a full half run higher than it is otherwise, being a 3-5 three, three, bullpen this year. So it's clear... That's also probably just like a bit of a fatigue thing, a bit of an energy thing. Yeah. It's just, it just, it just continues to happen. It's, it's kind of frustrating. Got to the ninth inning, though. Edwin Diaz came in, trumpets with the full crowd. Sick. Incredible. Would have been even more incredible if they were winning. It was a save opportunity. But even in a tie game, everyone's still very into it. Even like seeing the old curmudgeonies, like still vibing with Edwin Diaz going for the trumpets, which is really cool. Well, I have some. I, I have a. We're sitting yeah, next to each we other. we got some people. I got to talk about the old curmudgeonies because there was a few people who are upset. And as we know, the Mets fans were vocal. We're a vocal fan base for sure. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And when we got to the 10th inning, there was a play in which Lindor made a diving stop in the hole and ended up making a throw to third base. Jump in the 10th inning? I want to do a little ninth. I want to talk about Edwin real quick. You, you can finish the story. I'll jump back. Yeah, no, yeah, let me finish the story. Yeah. But we jumped to the 10th inning. He makes the play, throws it away, ends up scoring a run. And we had this this couple near us that was, I would say, less than excited that that happened. Very I would, mad. I would say very mad. So mad that besides the expletives that were nonstop coming out of their mouth for the last two innings, they really went hard on that one. They packed up their stuff and they left in a one-run game in the top of the 10th after being there for probably four, five or, hours. four or five hours. You, you would think the Mets were losing by 10 runs. I couldn't believe it, but I will say... Once they left, everything changed. Everything changed. Which, like, this is going to be a big overarching theme for me, but, like, the negativity. I'm not yeah. normally, like, a Gary V. be positive. You got to think positive. Don't go to college, whatever Wake he says. Wake up at 4 a.m. Don't text your family back. They're wasting your time. Yeah, like, that's not my thing. But I feel like this Mets team, I've, I've said it before, rides and dies with the fan base. Like, when the fans are feeling good, I feel like this Mets team's playing really well. When there's a lot of energy, I feel like they show up. They have these late inning comebacks. But when it's a little quiet, maybe a little bit down, maybe sometimes, you know, people get a little ornery, a couple boos come out. I feel like it just throws things off a little bit. You start getting this weird dynamic in the stadium between... Galvino got booed. Yeah. Galvino's been one of the most trustworthy relievers all year. So it's like... I get it. Like I want to. Lugo did too. It was just it was just a pass ball. Yeah, Lugo's gotten the short end of the stick by a lot of people. It's like I get your frustration, but this team is still good, and I don't think a team twenty games above five hundred for playing. I know they're not playing particularly great baseball at this moment, but booze not for me. It makes me cringe. No, I hate being there when you boo. It's upsetting. We were actually sitting next to a, like a nice hipster couple who looks like actually they're big Mets fans. And they were like, "Why are you booing? Yeah, why are you booing?" They were like so genuine and nice. It was funny, but it's it, it's it's a, it's an uncomfortable feeling. And you, we all think back to not very long ago when everyone was acting this way about Edwin Diaz. Yeah. People wanted to cut Edwin Diaz like less than a calendar year ago. Yeah, the dudes. I think I even said to you, I said, imagine telling someone in 2019 that we would have just seen Edwin Diaz do this right now because this game felt like a classic like disaster waiting to happen 
One of my favorite stats to evaluate pitchers on is uh, strikeout minus walk rate, which is literally like it's exactly as you hear. You take a pitcher's strikeout rate, you subtract their walk rate, and you get the number at the end. It's proven to be like incredibly effective and useful in predicting pitcher performance. Very, very useful in like the, the high intensity fancy baseball circuit. So almost as good as any other stat, newfangled stat that gets created, K minus walk rate. Edwin Diaz is leading the major leagues right now with a 41.2 strikeout minus walk rate, which. Just to get a sense of how good that is, how much better it is than anybody else. Number two in that stat is my guy Andres Munoz, who gave up the home run to um, Patrick Pat- Mazika. Patrick Mazika, the future Patrick Luino. He's second at 33.3. So Edwin is almost eight full percentage points higher than the guy who's second in that stat. Even Edwin Diaz's 41.2 strikeout minus walk rate is better than 98% of all the pitchers in the league's strikeout rate. Yeah. And you're taking his walk rate out of it. It's, it's unbelievable how good he is. And even he's been better more recently. 55% strikeout minus walk rate since June 1st. Yeah, I mean, on the entire season, he has like a 52%. It's he's nuts. been the best reliever in baseball, arguably. Statistically, I know. right now, he probably is. Either him or Clay Holmes. Yeah, those are the two guys. And I'm going to pick Edwin Diaz every of single course, time. Not, and not that's, question. that's why he's an all-star. Yeah. He is the best closer in the National League at the absolute minimum right now. He's an all-star, deserves it. Glad for Edwin because definitely had a bit of a roller coaster ride here with the Mets, but boy, is he coming on strong when we need him the most. Absolutely. And now we jumped around back and forth a little bit. Lindor threw that ball away, the first play of the 10th inning. That was unfortunate. You get you put you put Billy Hamilton on second base and people are paying attention. Yeah. You know? Try to be a hero. It wasn't the right play. It happens. John Burley got to second with no outs. And now you're looking at like, ah oh, crap. It's a guy in second with no outs still, and we're already down by one. I do not like this. Wait, this literally goes back to exactly when they left. Lindor I mean, made yeah. a huge play after this on yes, a back that's pick what moving towards. from Tomas Nithro because the guy just continues to throw off his knees. Bit us a little bit in the butt in game four, but hey, he's made a lot of great throws this year. Throws down to second on a back pick of John Birdie. John Birdie does get there before the tag gets put on, but Lindor gave him a nice... A nice hard tag. A nudge. I, I wouldn't even say it. it was a it was a good hard tag. Yeah. Gave him a, a, a firm a base, slap of the it's glove. It's a baseball play. Baseball play. Baseball play. And John Birdie just happened to get off a of second base, slipped off of it, whatever it was. I guess there was a strong wind. Yeah. Blew him off second no, base. Yeah, he's a small guy too. Yeah, he's a small guy. And Francisco Lindor. He's a strong dude. Yeah, he's built. So he's a Met. He's gotta be strong. Tagged him out. Now all of a sudden, one out, nobody on base in this inning feels a lot different. John Birdie was so salty. I don't know if you guys got the full sense of it from television, but st- sitting like right on the third base line, it took John Birdie 15 cents, 15 seconds to walk off the field. Yeah, he was so mad. I was gonna say a minute. He was he was on the field forever. He didn't get away from second base for like 15 seconds. And John Birdie's definitely like an unwritten rules guy. You could just you could feel it. Oh, for sure. Yeah. John, I mean, he's hit singles. He's a big singles guy. He's like got 27 stolen bases on the air. Incredible, which is ridiculous. What a pain in our butt. But Got him out there, which was huge. That completely changed the feel of this game, too, because now the Mets were Feel the inning. Colin Holderman could just get the rest of the guys out. Nobody on. Colin Holderman, solid as well. Glad he's back. Very good reliever. Very much. Mets, then, in the 10th inning, have their own little bit of luck happen because... Yeah, it was It was crazy. We couldn't believe it because it it was hard not to feel down. It was hard not to be a little disappointed about what happened. But the Miracle Mets, Yeah, they came back. Miracle Mets. This was like a Team of Destiny type of win. Tanner Scott made Eduardo Escobar and Luis Guillorme each look like the leaguers for half a second. Which two, can two, happen. Two backward Ks. Yeah, Tanner Scott has crazy stuff. And throws when, 99 with a crazy slider. Yeah, when it's in the strike zone, it's very hard to hit. A lot of times it's just out of the strike zone, so you don't have to hit it. But it was pretty grim there with Tomas Nito up as the last the last breath of hope for the Mets with a man on second, two men out, and hits a dribbler down the third base line to the very shorthanded, usually Brian Anderson, who just kind of... Fumbled the bag. He has such a cannon, too, yeah. where it's like there's no doubt he would have been able to throw out Nito. It would have been easy. 
and he just kind of booted it. He kind of botched it, which is also funny because it, it had very, very similar vibes to the Mookie Wilson. It kind of did. When Mookie Wilson was in the ballpark. And actually, you end up finding out that it was like the top, or a comeback in extra innings by the Mets. We, the game's just tied at this point. The you ball know, got booted far enough away. They know what happened. Yeah, we yeah. don't have to give a full play-by-play. We can have a conversation about this here. But... It hasn't basically happened since the Mookie Wilson thing. No, exactly. not basically. Literally, the Mets yeah. hadn't had a walk-off win on an error in extra. Because like, I was only saying that because this wasn't the error that was the walk-off. This wasn't necessarily an error. This was ruled a hit. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, that is true. That yeah. is true. I forgot. But he just, yeah. Brian, it got so, ended up getting so far away from him, even though the ball was moving like three miles an hour, that Tomas Nido is not the fleetest of foot, was able to round third and score. So now you have, oh, Tomas Nido got the hit. Mark Hanna was able to score. Yeah. He, he's he's fleetish of foot. He's an he athlete. Can, he can run enough. Yeah, he can so run. So now we have Nilo on second, which is no guarantee to score in a single. No one else on the bench to pinch run with Nimmo up, who it's an incredibly benign comebacker at the Tanner Scott, who just spiked it. Yeah, well, and it, that was the error. Well, it hit him hard. He, he clanked it. He clanked it. And I think he heard the crowd because the crowd gave a, ah, ah, like a scream, ah. And I think he just freaked out and rushed it and just didn't even come close to throwing the ball to first base. Just missed by 25, 30 if, feet. If not more. Jesus Aguilar did, just looked at it. He was like, I can't get that. I, you and also, it was in a weird spot where Nimmo was running hard out of the box because you always does and like the pick would have been like right where Nimmo's spikes were so Aguilar couldn't even like get his hand there he couldn't no. he couldn't go there he would have risked getting run into even though I think if Brandon Nimmo ran into Jesus Aguilar two big men but Jesus Aguilar is significantly bigger you get like a dude it's it's really a question of because Jesus Aguilar is like I don't know how to describe his body but it, it's it's Sol- heavy solid it's, it's heavy solid Brandon Nimmo strong base Brandon Nimmo's like a he's a, an athlete a wide receiver like yeah. the dude's absolutely yeah, ripped Aguilar is kind of like an edge yeah, a little, yeah, he's more closer to an edge rusher. Maybe a center. Maybe he's more closer to a center. I think a tackle, a tackler, an edge because he's taller. So you okay. want him, you want him on the outside of your lines. Your quarterback can see over the top. But this was the first time the Mets won on an error as a walk off in extra innings since Game Six of the nineteen eighty six World Series. And of course, Keith Hernandez, number retired, Mookie Wilson Can't make was it in attendance. Crazy, unbelievable, felt. Really nice. Oh, it was that, it was mesmerizingly exciting. We were jumping up and down, high fiving, yeah. hugging people. Yeah. I got so worked up. I forgot my lemonade stein because I you bought, did. I bought a oh. bases loaded lemonade. I was like, Delicious. you know what? I'm gonna spend twenty three dollars on the lemonade instead of twenty on the Jim Beam stuff in center field because I just wanted some lemons in my life. It's a great fruit. It's a long day. And I was I was like, I'm gonna get the stein. I'm gonna bring this home. It's gonna be great. And the the chaos ensued. I walk out of the ballpark. I go, yeah, I, I forgot my cup. I forgot my cup, and I was a little bit disappointed. That's okay. Well, the big less disappointed. The Mets are now seven and zero in extra inning games this year, which is an incredibly impressive. Mark, we're seven and zero. Yeah, we're seven and zero. You're right because we are part of the Mets organization technically now. No, no, no. We were seven and zero. Oh, I totally forgot about Sunday. Oh, ah, yeah. well, let's talk about Sunday. Yeah, I guess because uh, we lost the game in extra innings, yeah. as you guys can probably tell by that little riff right there. So we're now seven and one in extras. Oh, that sucks. Sandy Alcantara is just really good. We'll say this. Taiwan Walker's also really so good. good. So it's really spin zone. We're going to spin zone this one here. How do we get a positive? Taiwan Walker has now gone up against Sandy Alcantara twice and has held his own. Yes. Has, he didn't give up a run on Sunday. Pitched very well enough to win. I'm going to do a little, my little Taiwan breakdown now because he was so good on Sunday. Seven innings, seven strikeouts, three hits, one walk, only four hard hit balls. None over 98 miles an hour off the bat. Almost no ball was hit hard enough to leave the yard, which is freaking awesome from Taiwan. Toe-to-toe with literally one of the best pitchers in baseball, who's pitching yeah. probably the best in all of baseball over the last month plus since the beginning of June. Say, yeah. Split change was nasty as hell with 38% whiffs. 
Noticed a lot more high fastballs too from Taiwan this one. He was really just, he was only throwing them high exclusively. Whether that was execution or whether that was plan, whatever happened, it was worked because he has a heavy fastball. He throws pretty hard. It was sitting up there and getting, getting whiffs. Really good. I will tell you from watching the game on TV because I know you're radio. radio you're Sunday, a little busy. Uh, radio on the Sundays. The umpire was given about half an inch above the zone. Love that. And Taiwan was just peppering it every time. And yeah. the Marlins hitters turn around like, this is not a strike, my guy. Like, what do you want me to do? Umpiring wasn't great. I'm always down to slander an umpire, too. He has, like, a low-key shot to be an all-star, I think. 100%. It'd be hilarious if Taiwan Walker's a back-to-back all-star in, like, a $10 million a year contract. As it stands right now, he is not. No, but we know how the pitchers work. Half yeah. these guys are going to bow out. Yeah, and especially because if you make your start the last weekend or whatever it's going to be. Also, I I don't think you saw this. Don't look at the Zoom chat. We just got breaking news. The Atlanta Braves have made a trade. No. The Atlanta Braves have made a trade for a big power-hitting second baseman. Are you joking? By the name oh. of Robinson Cano. You got to be kidding Robinson me. Robinson Cano has just been traded to the Atlanta Braves. I think this is going to be the first time I, I curse on the podcast and the producers and editors can figure out wh- what the <laughs> What the What This is this is hell. This is Alex Anthopoulos. Not, Not yet. This is Alex Anthopoulos mind games. Not hell yet. He, he, He's Alex got a voodoo doll. I don't know what it is, but this guy dolls. has dirty magic. It's your Greek brother. Get him back. I know. Well, my grandma has like a, a magic thing going on where like oh, she... My mom pulled out the prayer bag yesterday <laughs> at the game. My mom brings a prayer bag everywhere. I'm gonna Italian need, mom. I'm going to need Yaya to de-evilize the mess right now or... Puts, I, don't, I don't think she does evil. I don't think she's willing to put something on someone. But my goodness. I know Alex Anthopoulos is. Yeah, Alex Anthopoulos is. Yeah, puts evil on everybody. He's playing dirty. Trading for Robinson Cano. By, oh, I'm not going to say anything about Robinson Cano. That's because disgusting. That's setting up for That's setting up for failure. The trade for Robinson Cano? Oh, man. They've been playing Orlando Arce at second. Please, just don't play this series, please. I, I think he's going to play this series. Oh, uh, why? 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 This is also what you get for railing against Ozzy Albies in your video this week. Yeah, okay. Well, I I didn't rail. I spoke the truth. Yeah, I, no, you just, I said statistically everything Statistically, you did. Statistically, I Analytics told Mark. Analytics Mark, yeah. I'm, Metamorphosis. I'm, learned about WRC Plus, and now I can use it to <laughs> make people mad and fit my narrative. Oh, God. But the end of the Sunday game, I can't believe you just said that. I can't believe it. Mets lost in extras. Tommy Hunter, our, our boy, our guy. Future, future uh, guest on the Messed Up Podcast, got single to death. Neither also, we mentioned before, got a little bit over-aggressive with a knee throw. Can't do a knee throw to third base because you have to throw around and over the batter <laughs> sometimes. He, he threw it about 30 feet over third baseman's head. It's going to happen. Yeah. You live and you learn. Nimmo put a ball right to the wall. How he really made me think it was out on Dairy my way too. up here. Oh. It would have been a home run, 11 ballparks in baseball. All the ones you probably would have expected it to have been a home run. And ball out to right field. Lindor came up with a shot to win it. He was up 2-0 on Tanner Scott. Swung at three sliders. Two of them were probably off the plate. The Lindorks were out heavy after this one. And yeah. with, with reason, Francisco Lindor didn't come through in a big uh, situation. A Twitter account I was arguing about because Francisco Lindor now has like a 20 play the, appearance, play the appearance sample size where he hasn't come through in the clutch with the tie or go-ahead run on base in ninth inning or later, even though I think he has three walk-offs as a Met. Yeah, he does. Like, yeah. I, I think the narrative that he's not clutch is like a little nonsense. I mean, because he has a bad, bad batting average is 20 plate appearances. Yeah. So he has a bad, bad 20 appearances, that's that's a batting average yeah. sample. That's all no, you need. No one's ever had a bad 20 plate appearance stretch no, in their life. No, of course not. No, it's also on base percentage, too. 20, of course. 20 plate appearances. That was a big one for the Lindorks. Let you have that, but this was a disappointing game. Also, though, like if you looked at this series beforehand, and you saw the Mets split, and they lost these two games. I can't imagine you being like particularly upset. Yeah, if, if you're, it's gonna... a weird thing where like if the Mets didn't get shut out, if the Mets lose this game, yeah, we spoke about this for the two in nine innings, and just like it happened, like 
okay, like I'd be frustrated, but the, the guy who's going to start the All-Star game in the National League beat us, whoop de doo Yeah. It happens. It's easy to get worked up over this series when it relatively wasn't that... It's not as bad as everyone says it is, but it's by no means good. Yeah, which has kind of been the theme for like a few weeks now. They've kind of been treading water a little bit. I think they're like three games over 500 since June 1st. Yeah, That's a rough estimate. Four. Three yeah, or four, whatever like it is. I think the Phillies are there for the whole season. The Braves just happened to be 29-8 and eight over that time, which like, hey, listen, you win 21 more games than you lose, you're going to make up some ground. At least we can have some solace in the fact that this is not any of our faults. No. Because it's Salicata's. Yeah, it's Salicata's. Salicata, don't even get me started. I'm going to try my hardest not to go crazy on a rant here, but he declared the National League East over on May 31st. He said, Mets have won the National League East. It's over, which anybody with... Also, anybody out there who exists, like you you know about jinxes. You, yeah. you can't jinx anything. You hang out with your friends. You can't jinx anything. John likes to send us a, uh, a this game's flying text every single game in the first or second inning. And it gets me mad every yeah. single game. I believe on um, the 4th of July, you jinxed me and Pat because we were playing Beard Eye with some friends. Incredible game. We're playing against some guys who haven't played Beard Eye that yeah. often. You're like, oh, you guys got this one. You can't say that to people. No, I... you, you don't want to jinx anything. You don't want to jinx anything ever. You shouldn't declare anything until it's already happened. That's why you say break a leg. You, you wish bad on people if you want something. <laughs> Something good to happen. You Absolutely. Don't, you don't say the Mets have won the National League East in May. Also, as Mets fans, we know it's not over to the last game of the season. Also, I guess now we're just transitioning into the Braves preview. But like the Braves, like realistically, have one of the most complete rosters in all of baseball. Yeah. They won the World Series and they got Ronald Acuna back from injury. They added Michael Harris. They added Spencer Strider. They added Kyle Wright. They added Kenley Jansen, who isn't playing right now, but he's someone else they added. Dansby Swanson has come into his own and finally. I, and I think it's important to note, add is like. Uh, got hypothetical ad became became a part of the major league team who was not a part of the major league team previously. Yeah, I mean, well, Acuna was, but he wasn't there for the World Series. That's what I mean. Right? Like I said, yeah. since the World Series, Acuna came back and they added those other guys. Yeah, and Matt Olson's also still a very I, good I first they added Matt Olson. That was like kind of a fair trade with Freddie Freeman. Yeah. Oh. So like this team, top to bottom, they're so good, so annoying, really, really good. So like, I mean, we said it even before we were with the Mets. This division was going to be between us. And the Braves. And I think I specifically said, whoever wins the season series is going to win the division. And it's really shaping up that way. Like, again, this isn't this isn't a Mets choke. The Braves are also 18 games above 500. Two really good teams are going to be playing three games against each other. It's going to be must-watch baseball. It's going to be stressful, but it's going to be damn good. 29 and 8 since June 1st. But if you beat the Braves 2 out of 3 this series, it literally doesn't matter. I said it at the beginning of this episode, almost an hour ago. We're at the point where almost 20%, maybe 15... I'm not, I'm not a math guy. I'm not well, doing, no, I'm not wouldn't doing math Well, no, I would say it literally live. doesn't matter. No, not that it literally doesn't matter, but like the 15 games you're playing against the Braves and your 76 remaining are monumentally more important than the games you're going to play against the Nationals, the Marlins, the, even the Philadelphia Phillies, the, the Yankees, yeah. the Padres who are coming up in the future in the schedule. Like These games matter a lot. A lot. So much. It's so rare to have a situation where like you, it's all, it's all in your hands. Like you, no matter how well the Braves have played and how much the Mets have tread water, if a switch flips on Monday and the Mets come out ripping, it's all it's all different. Yeah, it's completely different. Yeah, like you, this especially game one with Max Scherzer going up against Max Freed, battle of the Maxes, Max off, Max off, maxed out, whatever they're calling it, maxed out. That's gonna, I feel like, really set the tone for this entire series because if the Mets come out swinging, we know, you know, we know what Scherzer's gonna be able to do always. But if the Mets come out swinging, that does give everybody a little bit of a different feel. I think at least gives you a a little bit of a deep breath of like, okay, this team can still hang. Like me and you by no means are in the panic stage by any means. We're, we're fine. Content again, or I wouldn't say content. We're fine. But 
this is an important series, and I do think that the Mets need to come out swinging. I think they need to take this series from the Braves. There's no such thing as a must-win in July, but this is about as close as you could get. I'll say should win. Yeah, should win. Ooh, this is like should that. win. This is a should win series. Should, and Max Fried's had their number in the past. He's so good. Really good pitcher. But guy. we do have our guy. We got Scherzer. Yeah. And Scherzer it. looks sharp, albeit against the Reds. And mm-hmm. again, this is a very, very different lineup. I mean, we just we just go one through nine. Travis Darno, a catcher, plus hitter. First base, Matt Olson, plus hitter. Second base, Robinson Cano. I don't even know. I don't, <laughs> don't say anything. I'm not going to say anything. Move I have on. no comments on Robinson Cano. Um, I'll save him to after the series. Third base, Austin Riley. Dude's like an MVP candidate. He's so freaking good. He's unbelievably ridiculous. Good. Imagine like he was just not that good a few years ago, and now he's an MVP candidate. He's like 25 home runs already this year. Shortstop, God. Dansby Swanson, number one overall pick, playing like it. He's uh, the He should have been the starter for the All-Star that's team. That's kind of my fault. I said a lot of shit about Dansby Swanson over the last few years. I yeah. kind of procured this. Jinx. Uh, See, you say bad things and th- good things happen. It's a jinx. And it's don't, the jinx. No jinx. Don't say any declare. Every Mets fan listening to this, no more declarative statements for the next two months. Positive vibes only. You have to talk like like an academic. Like anything's possible. You have to give a guard, like a lawyer or historian. Allegedly. You yeah, got to use po- allegedly. It's possible. Yeah, it's possible. Something could happen, but something else might. Theoretically. Yeah, yeah. And talk about percentile outcomes. Like I was a big uh, fluff words man when I was yeah. writing essays and stuff. The yeah. very few that I wrote in college because I just did, chose not to. Not a great student. But hey, uh, <laughs> I would use those big words. Take up, the, take up some. It makes you sound smarter than you actually are. Or sometimes I figure that could be counterproductive. Maybe make it sound stupider. I'm sure your professors may have thought that. My professors thought highly of me. <laughs> I, I take back I was a great student. All right, well, we'll move on there from that. But this Braves, this whole lineup is amazing. They also, Marcelo Zuna hasn't even gotten hot yet, even though all of his underlying stats are, like, as good, if not better, than they've been his entire career. Ronald Acuna still exists. Like, this this team is a good freaking Michael roster. Harris. You guys are going to get your first look at Michael Harris, who is one of the budding young stars in the outfield in Major yeah. League Baseball. The dude is incredibly talented. The Braves... They don't miss with their development. All my fantasy baseball friends out there, they've probably been keeping an eye on Michael Harris for a few years because he's just been ripping through the system, and he's been a guy who flashed power, speed, and average. Everyone who plays fantasy baseball knows that if you can have speed and average with a little bit of power, that's a guy who's like going to be a first-round pick in the future. He's not really like a massive power hitter. He probably hits the ball on the ground a little bit too much, doesn't barrel enough to ever be like a 35-40 homer guy, but I see him as like a, like a 270-25-20. Yeah. 270, 20, 25, depending on how much they run. The Braves do love to run, too, so that'll be a thing in the series. But getting a close up-close look at Michael Harris, who the Braves just keep hitting eight, ninth is just a slap in the face, too. He's he's a hell of a ball player. Fantasy baseball players, make sure he's not in your waiver wire. I'm sure he's not at this point because he's fantastic, and his results have been amazing. Like, 850 OPS in his first month with 300 average, like... Good ball player. What are the uh, what are the rest of the pitching matchups looking like? So, Scherzer sure freed on Monday, maxed out. Peterson Strider. It's a fun one. It is a fun one. Probably a little more fun for the Braves than the Mets, <laughs> but that's Tuesday night. Spencer Strider. I'm going to pontificate about, pontificate about him for a second because, holy crap, if you guys want to see fastballs, really good fastballs, high spin, high velocity fastballs, he is up there with the best in the biz. I would say, and I'm going to give, I'm going to give a lofty uh, praise for Spencer Strider right now. I'd say probably his top 25 best stuff in all of baseball. Yeah, his lofty praise. You're going to watch it and be like, oh, Wow, he also like he's like he's like kind of like short and compact and like a little bit more athletic. That's how he gets like that really good upward movement in that fastball. His approach angle is like very very like straight on you, and it comes right up. And he throws it so hard. He wears the glasses. He's got the stash. Hey, no, no glasses on Strider. No glasses. Of? I might be thinking Jesse of... Chavez has the glasses. Yeah, someone else. But he's got the mustache. Mustache is pretty chill. I'm sure Gary and Keith will have a lot of fun things to say about the mustache. Definitely. And then Wednesday matinee afternoon twelve twenty start in the East Coast. Chris Bassett versus Charlie Morton. Couple pitchers there. Couple pitchers. Morton started off the year cold. 
If you guys listen to any of my Facebook fantasy baseball content, I told everyone that he was going to be good. Please trade for Charlie Morton because he's still going to be really good. He's been fantastic over the last month again. He's a premier pitcher in the National League still in the, his ripe old age. He's going to be very tough to trifle with. Yeah, I was looking at the weather because I, I wanted to see what it would look like because Atlanta, around this time of the year, is pretty intolerable to be in. It's less intolerable than when you get later. I feel like August, September is worse. I don't know. I went to school in South Carolina, as many of you will know. Relatively close. Columbia and Atlanta are a few hours away. It's the same climate for the most part. As soon as it hit like June, it was just like hot, thick weather. And looking at the weather, I believe higher percent humidity means it's more humid, correct? Of course. Okay. What could that possibly mean? I don't know. I feel like sometimes you could be like, there's you 10% higher. Humidity. Yeah, higher means more and lower not means a, less. not a meteorologist. You don't have to be a meteorologist. Look at numbers. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's crazy. Gonna, it's going to be a thick one. Ridiculous. Uh, this, this week because 84% humidity with 71 degrees which is interesting because it's going to feel just like a swamp probably That's evening yeah yeah at, at night then it's going to be like 85 ish with 81 oh percent humidity and then the following day and there's also going to be just random rain throughout yeah. these so the humidity could go up maybe i don't know how it works 83 <laughs> percent on wednesday it is going to be thick air in atlanta it looks like we got a full moon on Wednesday, too, for all people at home. Mark's scrolling on weather.com right now. So keep an eye on that. Make, make sure you have no werewolves in your neighborhood. And I promise by the end of this year, I'll, I'll learn humidity percentages a no, little better. There's nothing to learn. The higher number is like anything else. Like, you know, like any percentage that's higher? Golf, a higher score is bad. It's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not on golf.com. You're on weather.com. How could you not think that a higher humidity percentage was more humid? I don't know. Sometimes, like, you know, because people put humidifiers in their house, and they'll be like, crank that up. I don't, I, and maybe I, that's good. I can't vouch for that. <laughs> but... That's the Braves. You want to you want to win the division. You gotta beat the Braves. We said it in April. Now we're gonna say it in July. We said it in May. You want to be a premier team. You gotta you gotta beat the Braves. That's it. They are the world defending World Series champions. They've been the class of National League East as long back as we can really remember. This is it. You gotta beat the Braves. Gotta beat I, them. You want to be their contemporary? Prove it. I like. I'm still in shock that they've traded for Robinson Cano. Like I. I'm trying to find out more information on this as we speak. Also, I see you on Twitter right now. Shout out, shout out to Wu-Tang Clan. Ghostface Killer was oh, in yeah. attendance for Keith Hernandez's retirement ceremony. He took just a hilarious picture with Steve Cohen. That picture with Steve Cohen yeah. might be, like, that should that should be a, a picture that flies around Twitter <laughs> a little bit. Because you had Ghostface Killer and his posse around ooh, with ooh, Steve Cohen ooh, wearing the ooh. Wu-Tang hat. Throwing up the sign, it was hilarious. And the message was awesome. throwing up some Wu Tang uh, like animations on the board this whole weekend. Yeah, legends. Oh yeah, they've just traded for, for Robinson for no for cash. This is this is trying to get in the Mets head. They, oh, this is one hundred percent. He might be cut after the series. <laughs> they might say to play against the Mets, cut him. They want to learn. He, they're hoping he knows some trade secrets. And if Robinson Cano really is a true Met who are still paying him twenty four million dollars, he will give up nothing. It's so not true. <laughs> he didn't give up everything. Oh my god, I can't believe they did that. That's so. That's messed up. That is messed up. Also, one more thing before we leave you guys. We talked about the estimate. We started the last episode. John's on vacation, so we got no numbers to crunch right now. But we want you guys to help us think about Marker Eye's punishment, whoever loses this week by week, episode by episode, basically betting competition. I definitely lost the first one. Mark lost the first one because he thought the Keith Hernandez speech would be under two minutes and 30 seconds. There was a world where Keith Hernandez didn't even start his speech. He was up at the podium for two and a half minutes. Yeah, literally. That was a bad guess by you, but... You deserve to lose that one. Yes. We've kind of narrowed it down to two punishments for Mark and I, and they're both kind of the same, but kind of different. And this is going to be done on opening day 2023. Number one, full kit. Cleats, baseball pants, socks, belt, hat, maybe eye black, depending on the weather that day. One of us has to sit all day, opening day 2023, in a full uniform. The other option, which I think is almost funnier, we're going to see if the Mets will help us with this one. 
Rent a tuxedo. Full tuxedo. Full tuxedo opening day 2023. The shoes, the bow tie, everything. Patent leather. Imagine eating a hot dog with a tuxedo on. (laughs) Having sausage and peppers (laughs) here. Wearing a tuxedo. Oh my God. Drinking a tall boy in a tuxedo. (laughs) A cool, a nice, nice. Oh, no free sponsors. No free no sponsors. sponsors. No free sponsors. I won't mention what no. what is my favorite beer of choice. Tall boy. Tall boy of alcoholic beverage. Well, I think that's a perfect way for us to wrap up here. This episode of the Mets Up Podcast. Of course, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Make sure you guys are following us on all our social media at Mets Up. We've been doing the TikTok too. Check that out. YouTube video. We got video. some new ones coming this week. Yeah, we do have some new ones. We got the YouTube video on the Mets channel. So make sure you guys look out for that. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find them, drop us a rating, review, subscribe, download it, all that good stuff. Follow James on Twitter at James Shiano. Follow me at Giraffeneck Mark with a C. That's where we'll wrap it up, guys. Shout out to the All-Stars, McNeil, Marte, Alonzo, Edwin Diaz. Mets got four. We're a good team. Big series in Atlanta. Hopefully we can talk to you after this one with some smiles on our face. Hopefully. Let's go Mets. Peace out, guys. See you next time. Get up. Get, get up. Get up.